When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, it's Alante, and you're listening to Black and in Grad School, the podcast that helps women and people of color like you excel in this journey. If you're listening, I believe you are an aspiring or current scholar who wants to successfully navigate this process by sharing my experience while pursuing my PhD and interviewing other Black graduate students or early career professionals. It is my hope that you can glean encouragement, advice, and strategies that you can apply to your journey. Thanks for listening. Hey y'all, it's Alante, back with another episode of Black in the Grad School, and today we have a really awesome guest. Not only is she a fellow Aggie, you know, I love, love, love my Aggies, but this woman who we'll be talking to today and hearing her story is really breaking barriers, a trailblazer, actually at Carnegie Mellon University. She has her PhD in industrial engineering and operations, and her research focuses on energy planning, decision analysis, and applied optimization. She is um, coming to Carnegie Mellon as a postdoc and incoming assistant professor in engineering and public policy and civil and environmental engineering. And she looks at ways to quantify the sustainability of the power system. And she also focuses on developing methods to incorporate equality in the decision-making process for power system planning. So not only is she like amazing, she is a beast. And so I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Destiny Knott. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Destiny, let's just get started with um, your background, right? And of course, I know you are an Aggie. And how did you like know or decide that you were going to take this route into? Um, yeah. So, in undergrad, I did electrical engineering and applied math. Um, but mm-hmm. I actually did a summer. Uh, internship with this physics professor and that was my first introduction to research so if anybody out there um, is deciding whether or not to do a summer REU program which is a research experience for undergraduates I highly recommend it and so that was my first introduction to research and what it was and this guy he was telling me oh you're great at research you're going to be the next PhD student and I was just like Dr. Cavetti please stop telling people that I don't know if I want to go to grad school I just want to get money (laughs) and have a job. Um, So then he kept like telling me like, no, like you need to consider grad school. You need to consider grad school. And so then when I was looking into it, it seemed like a good opportunity. Um, Professors have a lot of freedom when they are running their lab and deciding what to work on and deciding what research they want to do and they get to do what they're passionate about. So that was something that really spoke to me. I also enjoy Christmas break and summer break, so that doesn't hurt. Um, And then when when I did an internship at um, ExxonMobil and Honeywell, it kind of showed me that even though those were great places, it wasn't necessarily where I thrived because I thrive in an environment where I have a lot of control over what I'm doing. And then I also love to just give back. I like to teach. I like working with 
students. I like working with other people. And so in order to do all of those things, you really kind of want to think about being a professor if that's the environment in which you thrive. So that was how I got more inclined into going to graduate school. And then in my PhD, I actually switched from electrical engineering to industrial engineering. And that was because of my first study abroad experience in Malawi, um, in Africa, for those that don't know where Malawi is. And while I was there, I experienced my first ever rolling blackout. So a rolling blackout is when the government says, hey, you're going to lose all of access to electricity on Thursday. And then the electricity power outage that was supposed to happen on Thursday actually happened on Friday, right after I had just paid for the internet so I could talk to my family. Oh. And I just had to sit there thinking like, oh my God, it is 2012. Why is this still happening in certain places of the world? Like, why don't we have reliable power systems? And so when I was asking people, you know, who manages the power grid? What type of engineer does that? People told me industrial engineers do like optimization. They look at power grid management, energy policy. And so that's how I decided to make the jump from electrical engineering, which is more measuring like voltage and current and building power plants to industrial engineering, which is managing power plants and well, managing power grids. Wow. I really want, am interested to hear about your changing of majors. I know that's not something that people, it happens, obviously, because it happened and you decided to make that change. But tell us, like, maybe when you realized you were going to do that shift, like where you were at in your program, because mm-hmm. um, we don't have, like, the, the year timeline, even though it's 2012. Um, and then how you were able to, like, what just kind of the nuts and bolts of, of what went into that. So when I was um, finishing up undergrad, I was not really enjoying my electrical engineering classes. I was doing them, and I was, you know, doing my best to get good grades and things. But I think that I never fully loved electrical engineering because I didn't choose electrical engineering because I loved it. I actually went... I became an electrical engineer in my undergrad by process of elimination because I got a a scholarship to do engineering. And so then I did not know what civil or industrial meant. So those were out. I don't like working on cars. So I felt like mechanical was out. I can't draw. So architectural was out. Basically, my dad's an electrical engineer. And I was like, well, I have a phone. So I deal with electronics all the time. I can be an electrical engineer. Uh, (laughs) So true. Yeah, like when I'm 17, it made perfect sense. But as I was like doing internships, I just didn't find that thing that I loved. And the thing that I liked in electrical engineering was power systems because I felt like I want to have an impact. I want to do something for other people. Um, And so then when I was looking for graduate schools, I actually Googled wind energy programs and I had interviews in like Virginia Tech's electrical engineering department. I went to UMass Amherst mechanical engineering department. And I went to like a couple of other mechanical engineering and electrical engineering departments. And so luckily UMass Amherst is Mm -hmm. their mechanical engineering department is tied with their industrial engineering department. So it's the mechanical and industrial engineering. And when I talked to this professor up there, me and him had a good conversation 
but I have a really hard time like visualizing gears and things. So we both knew I was not a mechanical engineer. Like that is just not where I would thrive. And so he actually told this person in industrial engineering about me. And she said that she was considering moving into like power system planning in terms of sustainability. And would we like to have a conversation, would, would I like to have a conversation with her? So that was when, like, she was the person that told me, like, oh, industrial engineers are actually what you're looking for because you want to do this management of power systems. And so she has been in the energy policy field before, but um, she did solar energy and wind energy and not, like, the entire power system. So when I was making the jump, I was a little bit nervous because just like, oh, man, I spent last four and a half years of my life learning applied math and electrical engineering. And now I'm about to abandon all that knowledge to jump to industrial engineering. You know, I was just like, do you think that I'm going to be okay here? Because I only had one industrial engineering class. And she goes, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. It's just math. Whether or not you had your undergrad in industrial engineering, (laughs) you would have to take these classes anyway. And in grad school, you just have to learn things. So I'm sure you'll learn it. And her just saying it to me like that made me feel a lot better. And I think that you know, when you talk to the advisors about your background, um, you will get a sense of how difficult your classes will be if you switch fields. I know that a lot of people will switch fields from like biology to like biomedical engineering or chemistry, chemical engineering. And so when they do that, I mean, the engineering is a way of thinking. And so it does take a little bit of time to get up to speed. But what I did was I kind of, um, so what I did was I went online and I looked up like economics uh, tutorials. And so I read some of those before I started grad school. And that was really helpful Mm -hmm. for just getting into the way that an economist thinks. It was very different from the way electrical engineers think. And that helped me out in industrial engineering. Um, But grad school classes were really hard. And And even though I was in industrial engineering, I ended up taking classes in the industrial engineering department, the business school, the economics department, the mechanical engineering department. So, you know, whether you're in one department or not, you're probably going to end up taking classes all over the place anyway. So people, it's just about the title. And even with going to grad school, I always tell people it's more about the advisor than what your degree says. So if you find an advisor that you think that you can work with, that you think that you're going to like, and then you find a project that you think that you're not going to want to kill yourself after four years. And then <laughs> I think that that's like better than necessarily like what degree you're getting. Yeah. And, and I completely agree, but I think that you definitely gave us some encouragement and some like firsthand lived experience of the transition um, between degrees and also the fact that now you're in civil engineering and engineering and public policy, you know, you're coming into what maybe on on the surface people might not think immediately that you would fit in, but the work you do you do fits perfectly into what's happening at Carnegie Mellon. And so I think you also then. I know I always tell people if there was one person that needed to try out all the engineerings, I probably did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think what you're probably just the biomedical and the chemical is um, just not on your, on your <laughs> No, resume. I cannot stand mice, so that's not going to happen. 
no, definitely feel you on that one. That's cool. I, I really, I, I, that was great. And so tell me kind of like, what was it like at UMass Amherst? What was your experience like navigating grad school? Were you the only black student there, black woman? What was just um, So in my department, I was the only African-American woman. Um, my advisor is really good in terms mm-hmm. of recruiting a diverse set of students because I was not the only black person. We had uh, one person from Sierra Leone who I actually became really close with. And there was another person who was like a first generation American. And so it was like kind of funny. We had like African student, first generation American, and then full on like been here for generations. So that was actually kind of funny how it worked out. Um, And then in terms of the College of Engineering, I remember in the hallway, I would see two other African-American females. And then they graduated in my second year. So then it felt like a little bit more lonely. Uh, My strategy was trying not to think about it all the time. (laughs) And I would seek out friendships Mm -hmm. with people that like to do similar things. So I had a ton of international friends and I got more into biking. I'm not a great biker, but I did, you know, I got a, a good bike and we would like ride the bike path sometimes. I would do like potluck dinners. Um, but there are there were times when people were like, hey, Destiny, what's it like being the only African-American in your program? And I'd point out, well, I'm not the only African-American. There are some others. And they're yeah. like, okay, what's it like being the only African-American woman? And that stuff just makes you feel like really lonely. And um, it, it's like, there's no yeah. good response because it's like, well, now that you pointed it out, I can't unsee it. And I was kind of in this ignorance is bliss type of state. But now I'm like wondering if these are microaggressions that people are saying to me. I feel like I'm overthinking things. I'm trying not to get angry about everything. Um, So I think like my method and my strategy was to remember why I came to grad school in the first place and just seek out meaningful relationships, Mm -hmm. not just relationships with people that look like me. Because they're also just, you're not going to click with everybody just because you look alike. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so there were, you know, a ton of people that I met throughout the years. And, I, and then I found some, like, African-American friends by going to a lot of, like, the diversity events. And so then I had this group of, mm-hmm. it was me, um, Andrew, and April, and we would all play tennis together in the morning. They hated me because I played tennis at, like, 8 a.m. So I would, like, drag them out of bed. But I know <laughs> it's early for anybody, but it's the only time I could guarantee that we could get a court. Yeah. So we would like do that together and it would be like, oh, wow. you know, a time to like talk to each other. There was a professor in the math department who I would talk to all the time about like things that I was feeling. And he had grown up in Virginia. He was African-American as well. And he understood what I was going through. Um, and then his wife and I also were, were, would talk. And she was just like, I called them my black aunt and uncle. <laughs> so it just was like, you know, making an extended family, going beyond my department and like looking around campus for anybody that was willing to talk back. You know what I mean? Because you, you meet people that just don't yeah, want to talk. And, they're, and it feels like, you know, a little bit upsetting because you're like, I'm just trying to like make a life here. Um, 
Yeah, but when you find those people that do make life with you, those people are so meaningful. And actually, all the people I just mentioned came to my wedding in July. I mean, in June. So that was, like, really nice, too. Yes, I I really like that, right? Building meaningful relationships and finding people who enjoy the same things as you and also branching out, right? It sounds like you were able to meet people from all different types of departments and really build, like you said, build this life um, in Amherst. And I think that is so, so critical for every grad student, right? Regardless of your background is, you know, it's a grueling process. You need support in place. You know, of course you have your family and everything, but if you're not in the same area, then you need some people, some feet on the ground where you are. Yeah, and it also reminds you why it's meaningful to keep in contact with your previous networks because the only reason I knew of the guy who worked in the math department at UMass was because of my math professor Mm -hmm. at North Carolina A&T who said, oh, I have a friend up there. You should go say hi. And I would have never found him if it wasn't nice. Right, 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 right. That's so true too. Wow. See, gotta, you gotta, I think you also, I'm like, let me uh, do some better, do a better job of sending emails. (laughs) (laughs) That's real. So now that you're done, you've, you know, got the degree and I also, you know, I know you just got married. So congratulations on your nuptials and you started your postgrad on, you know, on the 10 year track, you know, everyone, I feel like there is not just one story to the tenure track, right? And I think, you know, I've heard your story in in person. I feel like you really have, you put, you leverage, I think, some really great tools that I think that more people should know about and think about and how they can like apply it to when they're trying to apply, when they're getting ready to apply, if they're deciding to do the tenure track, the academic route. Um, So tell us kind of like when you started your job search and kind of what that um so I started my job search last summer the academic postings um really come on in August and they'll be posted anywhere from like August to December so I was like keeping an excel sheet and like kind of keeping track of like what I was applying to as I was going so then (laughs) the job search started Mm -hmm. August of last year so then to prepare for the job search starting I actually would have to go back another year. Um, so now this okay. is the year before I went on the job market and I was doing a lot of um, minority future faculty programs. So these are designed mm-hmm. for underrepresented groups. So sometimes it also includes women, um, no matter what their race is. Um, it includes like Native Americans, Hispanics, um, Blacks. And so these programs are designed to bring you to campus, introduce you to what the process is like, and also give you a chance to network with faculty. So there is the Georgia Tech Focus Program, which is really helpful. Um, There's NextProf Nexus, um, which is hosted by University of Michigan, Berkeley, and Georgia Tech as well. So that one gives you an overview of the job process. It kind of shows you what teaching and research statements look like, what diversity statements look like, explains to you how people are evaluating these applications and what they're looking for. Um, There's also the NSF Academe program, which is a two-week really intensive uh, crash course 
and how to succeed in getting the tenure track position. And um, also like once you actually land the interview, how do you succeed? Then after you get the interview, how do you succeed as a faculty member? So that was two weeks. And I would have to say that that was like one of the best things that I have ever done because we looked at how the grant process is, like how do you apply for grants? How do you find grants? Um, Mm We also like evaluated each other's teaching and research statements and they set you up with a mentor who was really helpful just with like checking in, telling me what, how to negotiate. She was really helpful there. Um, They give you ideas about how to search for different job opportunities. Um, And so that's N-S-F-A-C-A-D-E-M-E for anybody that wants to look it up. Yeah, we'll figure out. Okay. There's also like Virginia Tech has a program for future faculty. Clemson has their Pathfinder program. And RIT has a future faculty program. That's RIT is Rochester Institute of Technology. Um, So there's a ton out there. And basically any place that I thought that I might want to go to or, you know, that was willing to bring me out. Um, I would just apply and if they accepted me great (laughs) and if they didn't you know it's like okay oh well and actually ended up getting accepted to way more than I thought I would Um, oh yeah and also um, Auburn University (laughs) sometimes they bring out grad student talk for talks and West Virginia State University also brought me out for a grad student talk and those ones I found through the Institute on Teaching and Mentoring so I went to that conference Um, which their goal is to get my more minorities to enter the professoriate. And so they actually have a career fair there where a lot of schools come just to recruit people for faculty positions. And that was actually where I met the guys from Carnegie Mellon who passed on my name to the Department of Engineering and Public Policy, which then led to me getting an interview here. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like people have two methods of applying to jobs. You can throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks, or you can try to plant seeds in people's minds and cultivate it and hope that something grows. I'm more of like the planting seeds and I just keep coming back to water it and hope they don't forget about me. Yeah. That's great though. Cause I, I mean, that, that is awesome. So you've mentioned, I think, I feel like at least, five different universities or consortiums who have um, kind of, you know, future faculty training, and then also this larger group, this Institute on Teaching and Mentoring. So you really, like I, you, like I said, you really leverage some, some major um, conferences and organizations. And I think that part alone, like some of these I had never heard of, you know, like not all of these make it into everyone's inbox as opportunities, or we don't even know where to start to search for some of those things. So I guess that's almost my next question is how did you even know to look for these? Did your advisor tell you, or did they kind of just all, did they all kind of coincide, right? Like you hear about one, so you hear about um, the other? So I feel like a lot of people delete emails <laughs> that they get from their department person. And I am the person, the type of person that I get anxious if I don't read an email. So I actually go through a ton of my emails and I start seeing these things, right? And so then when I see it, I'm like, oh, 
well, I'd never heard of this, but maybe I should just apply. If they're going to fly me out for free, then why not? Um, so then I apply and a lot of times people tell me like when I go to these things that they just don't get that many applicants. Right. And it's because mm. people don't read the emails. Um, people don't know like to just apply, right. People sometimes are saying like, Oh, well, I didn't think I would get it. So I didn't apply. Or sometimes people are like, I don't want any special treatment because I'm a minority. And that like yeah. bugs the heck out of me. Um, so I'm going to mm-hmm. kind of give you a lesson from the trap because <laughs> I was like, it's actually a perfect one right now. And so in motorsport, Migos, they say straight up there, we didn't take the stairs. And I'm like, why are all these people trying to take the stairs when somebody's offering you an elevator? Just get on it and just go apply to these things mm-hmm. that are designed to help you in your career and stop trying to say, I need to like make it on my own, you know? Um, so I just really bug when people mm-hmm. do that, but yeah. I'm not that type of person. I'm like, oh, you want to give me like 20, a free flight? Sure. I'll take it and like come learn about the program. And hopefully I learned something I didn't know before. And like, I also try to just think of these things as like, what have I got to lose? And, you know, if I have nothing to lose yeah. and I can only gain from the situation, I might as well do it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and plus, once That's you go to one, they start inviting you to a bunch of others. So when I went to NextProf, I met uh-huh. a lady from Georgia Tech. And um, then she told me about Georgia Tech Focus Program. So then I went to the Focus Program. And, you know, at Focus, like, you know, I, I met somebody else who was telling me. About, I met, like, another participant who then told me about something that they did yeah. at another school. So then I was like, oh, cool. I didn't know that school did one, too. And then you actually start seeing a lot of these similar people at these programs because nobody applies. And the ones that are applying are typically the same ones. True. Wow. Okay. So, but I, I, um, I love that too. And I think you gave us a fresh perspective. Like I, I, I can totally see, I won't say myself, but I'll say someone, Uh right. Thinking, of the the glory of like I did on my own but um there's also nothing wrong with getting help and these are the spaces that you know I mean I know you said your your father's an engineer but I'm I'll say for myself I'm the first person in my family on this track Mm -hmm. right so I have no one no point of reference um in my circle and when I think even my my immediate network you know, prior to coming to grad school that I could just go and talk really candidly about these things, yeah. right, right? Like, how do I negotiate? How does this, you know? And I mean, so- I completely understand. So like my dad's an engineer, but I'm the first person in my family to get a PhD. Right. And I'm the first person that like even wanted to do, like first generation that even wanted to do higher education in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, and actually none of my family members are like teachers either. Yeah. Like right. my grandma was a teacher, but she like did K through 12. And so right, right, exactly. I'm just like navigating grad school on my own. Like people don't understand the stress of having to do classes. Then when your class is finished, research is still there and it's never ending. And you're trying to do something that's never been done before. <laughs> so it's not, it's not easy. And then you're living on such little money and you don't want to have to ask for help because you're like, I'm an adult. I should be able to provide for myself at this point. Um, and sometimes you're just like, why is this so hard? 
But then you want that feeling of, no, like I worked hard. I'm a hard worker. If I just keep working hard, I'm going to make it. And like, I don't need anybody's help. And it's like, wait a second. Like I had this light bulb go off because I used to think like that too. I was like, wait a second. Somebody is offering me a free meal. If I was offered a free piece of pizza, would I take it? Heck yeah, I would take it. So if somebody's offering me a free flight and a ticket to get to where I want to go in my career, why am I resisting taking it? You know what I mean? So, and like, it's also like these programs are designed because so many of us are first generation PhDs who don't know this process. And it's like, somebody's trying to just tell us, hey, this is how you do it. This is the information that other people know. Because when I was living with one of my roommates, I was thinking that we were all new to this. Mm. And then I found out that his aunt has a PhD, his uncle has a PhD, his dad is a doctor, and they were helping him out financially. And like, that's great that he has all that family support. But I'm like, oh, my God, like, he knows so much more than I knew just because his family told him this. Right, 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 right. That's true. That's so true. Mm-hmm. We have to help them use this, uh, these resources and this money and these free trips. So I think. Yeah. That is- so that's why I started my blog. Right. Which we are going to get to. Oh my gosh. We're going to tell at the end, like tell us where we can find your blog. Cause she does share like major nuggets, um, really meaty blog posts. I feel like that really help break these things down. And, um, <laughs> You kind of ended up touching on this. This would be like my last question um, before your like last piece of advice. Um, how did you balance that, right? Because I know you you had a relationship. You also were traveling. It sounds like a lot, definitely while you were on your dissertation, um, still having a life and having this community and, and pouring into this community. Your research, your TA, you know, your your classes, how did you balance all of that? So I kept a Google calendar religiously. Okay. And my friends got so annoyed when I would, like when they would ask me to hang out and I would go say, hold up, let me go to my Google calendar. And then I would block off like four hours or three hours or however long they went to hang out on the Google calendar. They used to get really annoyed, but I told them it's for their benefit because I felt really bad when I would forget that I was going to hang out with somebody And so then by blocking off social time, one on my Google calendar, it was able, I was able to see exactly how much time I was spending doing what. And when I knew that I was going to get dinner with somebody, then I told myself, okay, if I'm going to go get dinner with them, I need to arrive into my office by Mm 8am so that I don't feel guilty leaving to go to dinner. Right, And it made it easier to hang out with my friends because then I was actually more productive in my work day because I'm like, oh yeah, I have dinner like this today with friend number one. And then tomorrow I have dinner with friend number two. So like, I need to like, make sure I get this work done because if I fall behind, people are going to start getting pissed because people don't like it when you cancel on them because everybody's busy. Right. Um, so Google calendar right. was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, during the interview process, I mean, in my last year of grad school, it was a lot. I was writing the dissertation, applying to jobs, then going on interviews. Then I was also planning my wedding. We were trying to search for a house. I was trying to save money because, like, <laughs> you, the summer after you graduate is really difficult because you're working without a paycheck. 
Um, so Google Calendar was helpful, but there were times when, you know, I'll be honest, I was not balancing it well. And I would, you know, sometimes I would be spending like all night applying to jobs and then I'd wake up and I would, you know, spend all day writing my dissertation. And then I was just like, I'm so tired. I wasn't going to the gym. I felt like I wasn't eating right. And actually in my last year, I ended up gaining seven pounds and I couldn't fit my wedding dress anymore. So talk about like added stress <laughs> on top of stress. Um, so that was like, I was just like, oh my God, like what's happening? And I reached this point where I was in the gym, um, with a trainer and he was telling me what to do. And I was in the middle of doing it. And all of a sudden I just broke down crying and I just like could not stop crying. And he goes, okay, let's put down the weights and let's talk about what's going on. And so I just told him like, you know, I have this on-campus interview. It was actually with Carnegie Mellon. And I only had like two weeks to prepare for it when I thought I was going to have two months. But they told me they wanted me to do it before Christmas break um, because I had a bunch of other interviews already scheduled for January and February. And I was just like, I feel like I'm not prepared. I'm at this place where everything that I've ever wanted in my career is like right in front of me. And like, what if I mess it up? Oh. And I'm like right here, like I'm in the top like three to five, like what if they just don't like me? Like what if I screw it up? Like I just feel like I'm not gonna be okay. Like I feel like I'm not okay. And so then like we were talking and then we got lunch and he was just telling me like, you know, when you are, when it's game time, right? When you're about to go onto the field and you're about to like give it all you've got, you can't be thinking about what if I lose because then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. and you have to focus on how you're going to feel when you're victorious, mm. right? So that was like, you know, a changing point in like making sure that I'm not so stressed about not failing yeah. that then I fail because I'm so stressed and I can't think straight. Yeah. So then I also did some like soul searching and um, you know, like everybody talks about like work-life balance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of work-life balance as this graph between your like freeze nation at the bottom. So that's the lower limit. And at the top, it's like the limit for your burnout zone. Okay. And so for me, the gym is very important. And if I spend less than 30 minutes a day going like working out, so walking or exercising or what have you, then I'm going to get into freeze nation and I'm just not going to be at my best self. Okay. And then if I spend like more than two hours in the gym a day, I'm at my burnout zone because one, my muscles are going to get tired and it's going to be, I'm going to start being stressed about all the work I'm not doing. So I need to be between like 30 minutes and two hours a day. And actually I hadn't been to the gym in two weeks. And so that's when I had started like tearing apart at the seams because I was feeling like the, the person that I was projecting to the world, the, this confident person that knows what they want to do in research, that is sure they're going to, you know, work with students well, and they're going to be a great advisor, and they're going to graduate students, and they're going to teach these classes. Inside, I was feeling like, I don't know, mm. <laughs> you know, how am I supposed to know if I'm going to teach in this class because I've never taught it before. 
how am I supposed to know if I'm going to get NSF grants because I've never had to apply to NSF grants before. And I had to do all these things I've never done before. I think I'm going to do great and I hope that I do great, but I just don't know because I haven't done it yet. I don't have practice yet. I don't know who I'm going to work with because I haven't been there. I want you guys to be nice and I want you guys to like me, but I just don't know. <laughs> you can't say any of that on the interview. <laughs> um, so when the self you're projecting is different from the self that you actually feel, the further apart they get, the further they pull at the seams. And then that's when you start see, having these like emotional pulls and these emotional breakdowns. And so then kind of like remembering what I like to do for fun and like investing like in myself again. And, you know, just telling myself, it's okay if I don't work on my dissertation for the last 30 minutes. I've done eight hours. I'm going to go to the gym now. Yeah. You know, and like, it's okay if I put down this paper and I cook at my house for two hours, you know, and I, I, I'm not going to go to get fast food right now. I'm going to just go home and I'm going to cook a real meal so I can eat healthy and I can feel good about what I'm eating. Right. And so just kind of having to take a step back and do that self-care and remember that, that was what really helped me maintain my balance and my sense of self in my last year. I love it. Um, from calendar on down, literally like, <laughs> I, I know I, I said a lot, but it was good though. I think that you, you also under you also did some, I think in there, well, what I see is really an important like sense of self that I think grad school really does help to expose. I, and, and, in life, I will say that too, but you know, we're, our experience is similar as, you know, you just finished grad school. I'm still in grad school. Um, and it gives you a chance to really like come to terms with like how you operate and like having defined understanding of like, this is how I operate and this is what I need to excel and to thrive. Um, and I need to make sure I give myself those things. And so the fact that you were able to do that in those moments, I think is really important. And the fact that it was seven pounds, I understand, especially as a wedding dress, I could totally get like a moment of freak, but I think most people would say you got away pretty good, um, with that, but I definitely still understand. <laughs> definitely still well I mean it's like I gained seven pounds and I was actively trying not to gain weight right. because I knew I needed to fit in my wedding dress right. I'm just like and I was like where did all this weight come from sure <laughs> right, right. I, like, I remember just trying on that dress over Christmas break and my mom was like so um it's not gonna zip and I was just like wait what <laughs> so yeah that's freak. that's definitely I can imagine amongst everything else that's a definitely a, a moment and first just thank you so much I feel like you've shared really a breadth of information with us today um with everything from you know making these decisions and, and going down this track and how you were able to really you know get this job not get you know earn and apply for this position I, I am so I am so excited um that you are going to be at Carnegie Mellon. Like, I mean, I was hyped when I saw you like, oh, shoot, like Aggie, I'm so, I'm so here for it. Right. Cause me and destiny were in college together. Um, but, uh, I also think that even from talking to you he now and in, in our, and some of our conversations we had in the last couple of weeks since you've been here, it's just like, yeah, she's about to really be a, of such a value add to both departments and to the, 
CIT and then to the university at wide. And, you know, we just, we need you here. So I'm just so, so, so happy for you and to see this bright, bright future and amazing career ahead of you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited too. Like now that the interviews are over, I can definitely say I'm not freaking out as much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not losing it anymore. And I do feel like I will be successful, but also just because at Carnegie, the colleagues that I've met so far are like so nice. They're ready to collaborate. Like the students here are really eager to do like interesting projects and interesting work. And it just seems like a really good community. And that's kind of like all you can really hope for in a job, right? Having a place that you like going to work every day. Yeah, absolutely. Carnegie Mellon does not give us any money to be talking about them like this. Just so y'all know, they have no idea that we're speaking so highly of them. Um, with that, <laughs> <laughs> Destiny, thank you so, so much. Is there any like last piece of advice, something that I didn't ask you that you want to share with our listeners today? Um, so I guess my last piece of advice would be don't compare your beginning to somebody else's mm -hmm. middle or end. So a lot of people, when I tell them my story and I tell them my truth about I was freaking out, I was crying, I was losing it. People are like, oh, but you're okay. You know, you're fine. You're great. You're the superstar researcher. And I'm like, you guys are not understanding I was just like you yeah. two years ago. I was also freaking out, you know, and, it, and like everybody looks better mm -hmm. at the end because they have seen mm -hmm. the whole picture. And when you're still in the weeds, you know, it's difficult to just keep your head above water. Sometimes you just feel like you're just treading water. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I would just tell people like, you know, don't compare yourself to other people and just try to make sure you're doing good work. And imposter syndrome, that feeling of, oh, my God, I don't belong here. Everybody else is smarter than me. It happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. So don't start freaking out when it happens to you <laughs> because it's very, very common. Yeah, that's so true. I love it. Thank you again. I feel like I've said this like a thousand times, but I am so grateful, um, especially because I know you've just been out here killing the game, sharing your research and doing everything as you prepare for the for the next school year. Tell people where we can find you on social media, on the Internet, all that jazz. So on social media, my Twitter is at Destiny Knock. So it's very easy to um, find as long as you know how to spell my name. <laughs> Uh, which is D-E-S-T-E-N-I-E-N-S-E-K. And then my blog is on my personal website, which is www.destinynock.com. So those are the two places that are probably easiest to find me. Great. Yes. Go check out her blog. She has really like great posts about almost like think of them like how to's as it relates to like the grad school process. I think she did an excellent job. Um, and you share, I think, some of updates about your work and publications as well. So it's awesome, 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 awesome. Last thing, Destiny is my favorite part. It's time for a lesson <laughs> from the trap. Tell me what you got. So my lesson from the trap is going to be inspired by the lyrics from Six Foot Seven by Lil Wayne. And in this song, he goes, I speak the truth, but I guess that's a foreign language to y'all. And I call it like I see it and my glasses on, but most of y'all don't get the picture unless the flash is on. Satisfied with nothing, y'all don't know the half of it. That's one of my favorite, favorite lyrics by him. And so 
this kind of like to me is saying that like in research it often feels like people do not understand us whether it be family Mm -hmm. friends or reviewer number three that just doesn't understand what your paper is and so you gotta keep speaking your truth and people will hopefully understand when they get that spark or when you explain it in a different way um but if they are not seeing it then hopefully the flash comes on at some point but you can't be bothered by that And then in life, the one thing that I know about myself is that I just do not know how to sit still because I'm never satisfied with some, with things. And I'm always trying to like be this perfectionist, but Mm. it's like, people don't see that part of me and that's okay. Um, But it's just like, I don't want to be satisfied. I want to do better, but I also have to remind myself not to be too hard on myself because I know that I'm never satisfied. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a reminder to keep working hard. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks again. And we will be keeping in touch with you. I'll have all of your information in the show notes so you all can follow Destiny and tell her how much you love this episode and check out her blog and check out her tweets and just kind of, you know, follow her on Twitter so you can just watch her skyrocket, you know, so you can say you knew her when or during. But thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Black and in Grad School. For more content to help you on your grad school journey, check out blackandgradschool.com. That's B-L-K-I-N gradschool.com. Love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Until next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.